Thank you for the beautiful music. That was so uplifting and <clears throat> very appropriate for the passage we're going to cover today. So thank you. It increased my energy level. Uh, and if you know where my energy level is on this subject, uh, yeah, through the ceiling. Uh, there are going to be no slides today. I was technically challenged last time between the microphone and the slides. And so we're just going to forego the slides this time. So you're going to have to get your Bibles out and let's do that. And, and as always, uh, for those who gave me your email addresses last time, we'll send you uh, exactly the notes that I preach from. If you'd like those, uh, put your name and an email address on a slip of paper and give it to my wife, Marianne, or to me, and I'll make sure I get those out uh, early this week. Now, a couple weeks ago, what did we talk about? We talked about the man, Christ Jesus. We talked about how Christ, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, fully set aside his powers, his use of his deity, of his godness, uh, when he came to earth. We went from the passages in the Old Testament where we saw the prophecies that he was going to be powered, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we then went through his life and we saw how he was raised just as we are raised. He was raised as a man, uh, raised and grew under the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we saw how he did his ministry, giving credit to the Holy Spirit and even those, his disciples after Christ had ascended back to heaven, gave credit to the Holy Spirit for his ministry. He lived 100% by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that gave us, it was intended to give us confidence because as we saw in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 23, we are called to suffer as he suffered and to follow exactly in his footsteps. And so I began that with this question, how are we to do this if if Christ would have lived by the power of God. Well, what I want to do today is not take a step forward in terms of suffering and the Holy Spirit in our lives, but I want to take a step forward of the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus in our lives, and I want you to see how we can achieve the highest possible imaginable level of spiritual maturity on this side of eternity. Uh, there are many out there in churches today that are hearing the, 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 the prosperity, the health, wealth gospel and how, you know, you can do it and rah-rah sermons and things like that. This passage, maybe the, the, the loftiest passage in the, in the whole of the New Testament, stands alone where God says, I have got an experience for you. I have got a life that you can live that is far beyond anything you normally think about. You can have the fullness of God in your life, experiencing it in your life on this side of eternity. You can be as close as possible to being Christ-like on this side of eternity. You can be 100% controlled by the Holy Spirit, by God. It's beyond our comprehension, yet it's achievable by every normal Christian. I went through commentary after commentary after commentary. I probably had 15 commentaries stacked up. Everyone, anyone who has ever preached this, and I almost read a quote by Martin Lloyd-Jones, has said they, they just felt completely unworthy to preach this passage because it, it, it talks of a loftiness, of a, a, a level that we can live and attain that, that they just didn't feel qualified to preach. 
And so with that, let's open in prayer because I feel exactly the same way. Heavenly Father, as we approach this passage, we want strictly your words through your Holy Spirit to come forth from this pulpit. Uh, Put me aside, put all of our flesh aside, all of our doubts, all of our fears, and just show us this word that you have for us. This here, this culmination of three chapters of what you have done for us in Christ Jesus, and now preparing us to turn a corner and begin three chapters of how you have called us to be, to walk in the church and to be like our Lord and Savior. Please bless this time. May we all hear, may we all learn, may we all grow. And certainly this prayer from me, from all of us, is for all of us to grow, to attain to this level of spiritual maturity in our life. All right, in Jesus' name, we are going to do this. You know, there are levels of spiritual maturity. We don't think about it, but the Bible talks about spiritual maturity. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1, don't turn to any of these. Paul says, you know, I could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not yet able. able. In Hebrews 5.12, the author of Hebrews said, for by this time, you ought to be teachers. Boy, I don't want to hear that one. You have need again, though, for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. So Scripture speaks of those who are infants in Christ, babes in Christ. We we were all there. When we were saved, the only doctrine we knew was the doctrine that, that got us saved, that we were sinners and we needed grace and we needed the work of Christ alone on the cross. That's all we knew. But then we're expected to grow. In 1 John, the famous set of verses there where John talks about who he's writing to. And first in verse 12, he says, I'm writing to little children. In verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers. And then in verse 14, I have written to you young men. And then Paul, he says the goal of every one of our ministries in Colossians 1.28 is to proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present every man complete in Christ. Now, if you would, if you haven't already turned to Ephesians, we've announced that, take a look in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll come back to this passage a little later, but I want you to see Ephesians chapter 4. We're talking about one of the few passages in the New Testament that really gives us doctrine about what the church is supposed to do, what the church is to do to function. And in verse 11, Paul writes in chapter 4, Ephesians, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Okay, there we are, pastors and teachers. Why? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, Verse 13, then until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, again, to a mature man, and here's your phrase, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What is the purpose of all the teaching that goes on in the church? 
of the pastors, the teachers, all our Bible studies, all our personal studies. It is to grow us up to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's this side of eternity, purpose for the church. Now, when you think about this book, let's just walk through the, the outline of this book of Ephesians uh, really quick. It, it's a very typical Pauline epistle. It, it's, it's got your two sections. You've got three chapters of doctrine, you know, what the indicatives, what Christ has done for us, God has done to us. And then you get to chapter 4, verse 1, you've got that therefore, and we begin three chapters of application. In this book, the application is easily outlined by the word walk, how we live our daily life. Then when you take that doctrinal section, now you're back in chapters 1 to 3, it breaks down beautifully because there are, there are sections followed by prayers. So you go back to chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, in Christ. He then goes down through verse 14 and he talks about all those spiritual blessings. We're chosen, we're adopted, we were redeemed, all the way down until we have the Holy Spirit as, as our guarantee, holding us as an inheritance for God. But what does Paul do then? He's shown us all these things and, and they, they really are the purposes of God for us, for all Christians in Christ. And then in verse 15, he prays it in. Paul stops and says, I'm now praying that every believer understand, fully comprehend what I have just taught about the purposes of God in their lives. But before he finishes verse 19, he starts to switch from the purposes of God. He starts using all these power words. He uses four different power words. And he's going to talk about power all the way through the end of chapter 3. He's going to talk about how God's power first worked in the life of Christ. How his power raised him from the dead. How his power seated him at his right hand. How his power placed Christ as the head over the church, the body of Christ. And we get to chapter 2 after finishing 119 to 23. We get to the first 11, uh, 10 verses of chapter 2. And it talks about God's power working in each one of our lives individually. Your famous verses, verses three, uh, 1 to 3, you know, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Verse 4, then, but God, and he raised you, he made you alive, he seated you with Christ. Uh, verses 8 to 10, our famous verses with the gospel is saved by grace alone, faith alone. All of this, individually, the power of God working in our lives. Then you get from verses 11 to 22, and the reason we read that this morning is because now we're building towards what Paul is going to draw off of for this prayer. In 11 to 22, he talks about us corporately. I use that word a lot. It means us as a group. We talk about the global church, not just our local church. And I say corporately, I mean everyone who's involved in Christianity, okay? And so he talks about then in verses 11, 22, about the church. He spends the first three verses talking about what we did not have. We were outside the nation. We were outside the commonwealth. We didn't have God in this world. Then he talks about us becoming the church in verse 15, the one new man. And then we get down to verses 19 to 22 to finish this off. We'll come back and read them. And he uses a second metaphor. Back in chapter 1, he talked about the church as the body of Christ. 
He comes back in 19 to 22, and he talks about the church as a building, as a temple, as the household of God, and we'll see that. Now we get to chapter 3, verse 1. I should turn some pages here in my notes. And he says, for this reason I pray. He's referring back to 19 to 22, and then he stops. There's no verb there. He just stops. And Paul interrupts himself, and he goes on all the way down through verse 13, talking about power. Only now he talks about the power of God in his life personally and how he was used by God and the power was manifested from God through him. And that's when you get to chapter 3, verse 14. And where are we? We are at the end of the power section. We're getting ready for application. And now he prays it in again. He prays for all of us who have been studying since chapter 119 to understand and to be enabled to have this power flow through our lives. So that, that's the purpose of this prayer in 14 to 21. It's for enablement. It's for us to have this power. And along with it, then, to have the fullness of this power in our lives, we need the fullness of spiritual maturity all right, for the benefit of our Lord, for our God, and for the church. So if you would, look at verse 14 there. It's a very simple prayer. It's got an opening in verses 14 and 15. We're really not going to cover the opening with the amount of time that, that I have. I'm going to focus on the middle, verses 16 to 19, is what we call the petition in the prayer, the requests that Paul makes, the things he asks for. And then in verse 20 and 21, we'll highlight those only because that's the closing. That's the great praise, the doxology praise that comes out of this prayer. So let me read chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you. And notice as you go through Mark and, and, and see the that's and the so that's, <clears throat> that he would grant you, according to the riches of glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a prayer. There is no higher prayer in all of Scripture. Now go back to verses 19 to 22 in chapter 2. Because he's drawing, as I said, he's drawing on these verses as he started in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, for this reason, and then he trailed off into his own life. But he's, he's going back then as the conclusion of this section about us as a group corporately. And he says in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household 
having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We're talking a building in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. This is a picture of the church, the global church, a building, a temple, okay? It's having been built into a temple of the Lord. And Paul is saying, you, we all are in this temple. We are in God's dwelling. You go back and go through this in detail, you'll see the Father is there, the Lord Jesus is there, the Holy Spirit is there. So when he says in verse 1, and he starts to pray, and he comes back in verse 14, and he continues this prayer, and he says, for this reason, what he's saying is because you are part of this temple, because you are part of this building, this dwelling place of God himself, I am praying for you to have the power enabled in your life, that power flowing maximum power of God so that you can have maximum usefulness, maximum serving, maximum using of your gifts in the church, right? In the church. And along the way, more than even this, he's saying, I am praying for a spiritual maturity beyond anything <clears throat> that you have ever considered possible in your life. Something that is attainable and attainable for average Christians, us, average Christians. He's praying, praying first that, that the Holy Spirit would strengthen you. Then he's praying that Jesus Christ is not just in you, because this is two Christians. He's praying that Jesus Christ is at home in you, enjoys being in you. And he's praying then that, that your life is, is completely characterized by a love that you have for others, to others. The love of Christ flowing through you to others. Then he prays that you would experientially know the love of Christ to yourself. So two different views on love. One to others and one to yourself. And then as you progress up, and these are all steps up from a foundation. As you progress up, then you will come to be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the great climax we're going to get to this prayer. And it's no wonder that in verses 20 and 21, he bursts out with this great doxology of praise to our God and Father. So again, now let's go back and look. And I told you to look at all those that. This section, we're going to go through the petition now in verses 16 and 19. Okay, the, the beginning, we'll come back to all the families on the earth someday and, uh, and such. But I want to get into this petition and as I said, watch as I went through. Verse 16 says that he would grant you. Verse 17 says so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And in the second part of the verse, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And then he finishes with in verse 19 with a that you may be filled to all the fullness of Christ. And, and even in verse 17, that that there that says you be rooted and grounded in love, it carries over in meaning and intent to the phrases that follow it. This is all one long Greek sentence. All one long Greek sentence. And those that statements easily help us outline this prayer. And it's how we will look at the prayer. We will build it. It starts from a foundation and it builds step by step. It starts down at the simplest level that the Holy Spirit would strengthen you. 
and ends with this great climax then that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. And so we see that in between all these that statements or all the phrases we're going to use to build this up, layer upon layer, level upon level, each one of them dependent and built upon the one before it. If you start with the first one, then you've got, to, you've got to let the Holy Spirit work in your life, then the next one, then the next one. And then lastly, after we build this all up, you're also going to see along the way the whole trinity is involved in this prayer. God the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, uh, great emphasis on every one of them having a part. So that's how we will do this. And you know what you're going to see? You're going to see the Holy Spirit offered here by God, ready and willing to work in your life exactly the same as he worked in the life of our Lord Jesus. He is willing to give you the power so that you can have the spiritual maturity and you can have the spiritual maturity and usefulness in the same way that he gave it to our Lord Jesus. So let's start with the first one here. Let the Holy Spirit strengthen you in the inner man. So if you're writing them down, the first one is that the Holy Spirit strengthen you in the inner man. You might just mark the phrases. It's just as easy. So that he would grant you, that he would, it means he would give to you according to the riches of his glory. Right? According to is a very interesting phrase. How do, you, how do you describe this? If I had two men standing up here, one man standing up here that say worth a million dollars, and over here I had Bill Gates, probably at least 50 billion these days, goes up and up and up. And I told each of these men to each give you $1 million. Well, I'll give it to me because we're only doing it once. Give me $1 million. This man would give you 100% of everything that he had. He'd be giving you everything. Bill Gates would be over here giving you, well, let's see if I got that in my pocket. You know, $1 million. That's, if you're doing percentages, that's .0002. It's two ten thousandths of a percent of his 50 billion. Okay. Now, if I said, though, to these two men, instead of giving me an amount, I want you to give me, say, 1% of what you have. This million-dollar man here would give me $10,000. Bill Gates would give me $50 million. And so when we talk about according to the riches of the glory of God, we're talking more like giving me, according to, give me a percent, okay? Don't give me an absolute amount. Give me a, a percent of what you have. Okay? And, and if we're talking about God who is infinite in his riches, he can give you everything. He can give you more than you would ever imagine, more than you would ever need, if he gives according to his riches, we can't fathom what he can give us. Right? He has infinite wealth, and that's what riches means here. It means wealth. Glory is his essence, his being, giving out of himself. So the basis of this prayer, before we ever get off the ground, this amazing prayer starts at its basis with the request for God from his unlimited unfathomable resources, his riches from those that he would give to us what Paul's going to ask for in this prayer. A good enough foundation? Yeah, good enough foundation. But what does he ask for then? To be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. 
This is passive. God does the strengthening through the, through the Holy Spirit in the inner man. It's our word dunamis, dynamite. We could spend five minutes there. But it's through his spirit. It's through his Holy Spirit. This is where we see this is the same way Christ got his power when he was here, a man on earth. Through the Holy Spirit, the agent, the means. At this point right here where it says through his Holy Spirit, take that whole sermon from two weeks ago and pull it in and plop it right here. Put that whole sermon right here. We are going to live by the Holy Spirit's power in the same way that our Lord Jesus Christ did. In the inner man, that's, that's the person, that's the heart, the mind, you, your understanding, your intellect, your will. Uh, it's where God works our spiritual life. It's where we began at, at salvation, where our souls were redeemed, and it's where he's growing us now spiritually. So when the Holy Spirit strengthens us with power, it means that he grows us spiritually. He's growing us to spiritual maturity. Remember what Paul wrote in Philippians 1.6. He says, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God began it. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. God will finish it. So this prayer here is for something God has already promised to do for us. This is prayer for spiritual growth for you and I and for every Christian ever to have lived and to live in the future. And just remember, it's passive. Only the Holy Spirit can grow us. I mean, it's like exercising. Say maybe you take like weightlifting. You think about how you do it. I mean, you're expected to go do the work. I'm expected to go out to the garage and grab the weights and lift them and make myself hurt and look stupid and, and all those kind of things. But when I'm done... I don't go back in and sit down and go, okay, I'm going to sit on the couch and I'm going to grow now and I'm going to think about how I grow. No, God has made my body so it just grows me. It knows that the muscles got torn down and the blood needs to flow and all that. It knows that. Well, this is the same way. We're expected to do our work in sanctification, but it's God through his Holy Spirit that grows us. He brings us to spiritual maturity. That's why even though Philippians 1.6 says, he who began a good work in you will complete it. And, and I love it when I get in discussions with, with some Christians that say, see, God's going to do all the work. Let go and let God. Well, if you go over to Philippians 2.12, 11 and 12, it says, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So those are two good verses to have in mind, Philippians 1.6 and Philippians 2.11 and 12, because there's God's side that he is going to complete it, and there's our side that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Well, this prayer is for God's side. This prayer in 314 to 21 is praying for God to enable us, praying for his, his power from the riches of his glory, praying. It does in a couple places, we'll see that bring in where we need to live by faith, one place. But most of this is for God to do the work in us. It's the next three chapters, and we're just eight verses away from those. Three chapters where we need to walk in a manner worthy, and we are to do our side, the Philippians 2, 11 and 12, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So when you think about the order of this, what the Holy Spirit's doing through Paul is he's, 
He's teaching us that without the strengthening of the Holy Spirit, everything that we do in four to six is impossible. And the more that we have the strengthening, the more that we grow in spiritual maturity, the more useful we are going to be to God in Ephesians 4 to 6 in our walk. All right, so that's the first one, that we strengthen in the inner man. But the second level of this is that, that Jesus Christ is at home in you. Jesus Christ is at home in you. Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that's so that. The purpose of the strengthening, the foundation there below us, is that Christ may dwell. Well, first question you ask is, well, if this is a letter to Christians, which it is, we already have the Holy Spirit in us. What's he talking about here? Well, it's in that word dwell, okay? It's a compound word. It's a word that, that says, you know, to live as in a home, just to live but then it adds a preposition in the front that says down. So what it means here is to settle down and feel completely comfortable in you, to be fully at home, to be fully comfortable. And you'll hear me say many times, Christ enjoys being in you. Okay. And in your hearts there, so to Christ may dwell in your hearts, as Christ may settle down and be comfortable in you, the inner person. Same as we saw back in verse 16 there. The center of your, your understanding, your center of your spiritual life, your understanding, your will, your intellect, your thoughts. And, you know, just a, a quick thing, I, you know, over here uh, I grew up uh, with the difference between a house and a home. A house is a building. When I say a home, I mean more than a house. I grew up understanding that a home was a place where my family was. It was our house. It's where I'm comfortable it's where I can kick my feet up and be myself, sinful as that may be. But uh, we often, you'll, you'll hear us use the phrase house versus home. Home has a very personal aspect to it. Though sometimes we'll just say, yeah, I'm headed home. Uh, to, you know, it, can, it can mean that building. But this here, when we say settled and being at home, it's comfortable, enjoyable for Christ to be in us. And then here's where we, we look forward to chapters 4 to 6 where he says, Christ may dwell in your heart through faith here. This is where Christ will be at home in us if we are living by faith, if we're obeying. It's no different than us. You know, when you, when you have sinful people in your life, you don't like being around them. You don't like being near them. You don't want to spend time with those who are sinning all the time. Well, our Lord Jesus is no different. <laughs> he doesn't... He does not even know we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Very often, as Ephesians 4 says, we grieve the Holy Spirit with our sin. This is the opposite. This is when we live by faith, when we obey our Lord Jesus Christ, when we walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5.16, then Christ is at home in us. This is looking forward to how we need to live for the next three chapters. So, that phrase, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that says that Christ is at home, comfortable in you because you live by faith, you obey by faith. This is far beyond just salvation. This is far beyond just saying I'm saved and <clears throat> because of, excuse me, for spiritual baptism, I've got the Holy Spirit in me. No, this is a level of spiritual growth to where now you are growing as a Christian, you are obeying 
and Christ is at home in you. Again, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the same way our Lord Jesus grew, and we saw that in Luke 2, how he grew and he came to know Scripture and how he came to be obedient. He was obedient to his parents, uh, and he never sinned. Well, here we too can live a life of faith. So when is that the case? Well, if you want to know what living by faith is, like I said, it's walking by the Spirit, but your attitudes, your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions, they are all godly. This is not a backslidden Christian. This is not someone who's operating under the flesh, who's always thinking about themselves, always doing things through their own power. This is someone who in everything they do, task by task, day by day, stops and says, Lord, I'm about to do this. Please guide me in wisdom. Holy Spirit, give me the strength. Help me to do this in the most possibly godly way. I'll take the first step in obedience. You be the power that helps me to do what is before me right now. So this is not a Sunday Christian. I'll tell that story sometime. You didn't come this morning just to hear the wonderful praise songs and get all rah-rah and all excited and then fall asleep during the sermon and go home and put your Bible on the shelf and come back to it next Sunday. This is not for the Sunday Christian. Uh, Christ is at home and someone who takes our message today, takes this and goes home and studies it and wants to apply it and wants to grow spiritually during the week and wants to put off sin, wants to become more like him. So ask yourself that question. Do it honestly. Is Christ at home in you? At home in you? Do you honestly get up in the morning and say, you know, you're excited to look forward to the day, you're thankful being indwelt, Christ is, is in me, he's enjoying being in me, he's comfortable in me, uh, let's see what we're going to do today. Let's see how you're going to use me today, Lord. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Ask yourself, is Christ comfortable enjoying being in me? Because this is the first real part of what the Holy Spirit is doing with us as he strengthens us in the inner man according to the riches of God's glory, the first thing he is doing is helping Christ to be at home in us. Uh, I, I think I'm, I'm most often amazed to find that most Christians, they're just thankful that Christ is in them. They're just thankful that they're, they're saved. You don't want that to be the dominant part of your life. That's spiritual immaturity. You want to get on and have that assurance of faith I'm not going to lose my salvation. Christ is going to grow me. Move up and forward, stepping out to, to live a life of serving. Live a life of giving yourself, seeing Christ work through you, that our next point. That is spiritual growth. And then you will someday look and say, you know, thank you for using me today, Lord. I, hope, I, I assume you enjoyed all that you did through me today. All right, let's go to the third one. That your life shows the love of Christ to others, that your life shows the love of Christ to others. All right. And that you being rooted and grounded in love. Next part of the verse there. And you being rooted and grounded in love. The end of verse 17. So the, and that you, that's a purpose statement. So the, then the purpose then of Christ being at home and comfortable in us through the strengthening of the Holy Spirit and it is to be rooted and grounded in Christ's love for others through you. This is Christian love that we've learned from Christ for one another, to one another. This is, we're going to see in Ephesians 5, sacrificial love. First in Ephesians 5, 2, the sacrificial love of Christ. 
Husbands, in 525, you're called to love your wife as Christ loved the church, sacrificial love. This is selfless love that you have and you show for other Christians. This is a deep love. This is a love that the world cannot understand. When we want to do the will of Christ, when we see a need in one another's lives, and the only thing we can think about is, all right, how can I help? How can I reach out and do something and serve you, Lord? This is a love for others. Again, not a love for us. So when you pull this together, so there's not a lot of here, the rooted and the grounding, it's a, they're, they're from agriculture and architecture, they're synonyms. It really means that you are fixed to the ground. You've got a solid foundation under you. The roots are growing deep. Very, very obvious in its meaning. You have a spiritually mature life. If you're rooted and grounded, you have a spiritually mature life. Not the fullest level of maturity yet. We're still going up the ladder. That's grounded on a foundation of living Christ-like, selfish, sacrificial love for others. Another way to ask it is, do others look at you and see someone who is first to love, first to give, first to help, first to use their gifts, first to serve, first to be there, first, first to, to be for you and not for themselves? You know Christians like that. They're the ones that have learned this love. They've let Christ live, their, live his love through them. Moment by moment, day by day, thought by thought, action by action, one author said. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that's the foundation of your life. So that's the next question is, do you ask yourself, do you constantly live this kind of life? Do you constantly live this kind of life? Eh, obviously, we're in roles. If you're a mom, you say yes, because... <laughs> Junior just woke up at 5.30 instead of 6.30. And, you know, and, and so Christ does have you in a position where you're there to serve your family. But then ask yourself, are you doing it with an attitude that is the right attitude? Are you doing it with an attitude that loves to serve Christ through raising a family, through serving your husband? Husband, are you doing your love for your wife, sacrificing for her in a way that, that she sees not you, but she sees the love of Christ through your life? And see, is how Christ is supporting her and, 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 and taking care of her through you. We often do the motions, but do we do it with the love of Christ coming through us? And again, this is, this is all for average Christians. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, this is then love that is the dominating factor in the whole of your life, controlling it and directing it. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5.14. For a second. <clears throat> Take a look at 2 Corinthians 5.14. Paul says what? For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. He goes on a couple of verses. He says, I don't even see you according to the flesh. He says, I'm seeing you spiritually. I'm seeing you according to your needs, the blessings that Christ has given through you. But in verse 14... The love of Christ controls us. We don't have a lot of time today to, to, to see how the, all of this is taught across all of Scripture, but it is there. And I just thought of that one verse. So we'll go back to Ephesians. So this is for average Christians. And again, why is this through faith? 
Because you can't go home and just say, well, I just want to be more loving. I'm just going to do this love thing. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a, it's a fruit of the Spirit. We get the fruit of the Spirit by obeying Christ, by walking by the Spirit, by living in obedience to Scripture, trying to become more like Christ. And then in doing that, then in obedience, we see needs of others and we, we, we fill them. Then we get the fruit of the Spirit. The love of Christ comes out through us. You follow that? It's the fruit of a spirit, love, joy, peace, all these things, self-control, beyond this, it's all then comes out of a life of obedience given to us by, again, the Holy Spirit, just as he did for our Lord Jesus. So this needs to be the foundation of your life. This is for the average Christian. This is for us living in obedience. And we're not to the top of this prayer yet. If you're at this point, the riches of the glory of God are working in your life, strengthening by the Holy Spirit, it's taking place. Christ is comfortable in you. You're living a life where the Holy Spirit and Christ are working through you with strength and the love of Christ then is the dominant factor in your life being seen by others. You are, we, we call most people like this, very spiritually mature. But now we switch types of love. Look at verse 18. We're going to switch to our, from the love of Christ through us to others to the love of Christ to us individually. Verse 18 says that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and all of these things and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. May be able is another power word. There have been power words throughout this whole passage. It's another one. It's building on the Holy Spirit, strengthening us. This so then is tying back to verse 16 here. You now have the strength. You are able. You now have the strength from the Holy Spirit that you are able to comprehend, to understand, to internalize, right? to grasp, however you want to look. You, you, you've, you've got it in your mind with all the saints, he says. And this is where he's telling us this is all the saints this isn't just that most you know, spiritual mature guy, Paul, that lives down the street that's writing letters, right? Uh, this is for all the saints. This is spiritual maturity available to all. And remember the context here is Gentile Christians at Ephesus. If, if you were following along, we read Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. There was war between the Gentiles and the Jews uh, in the early church. It's a great story, but there was war. The word there was enmity, meant hostility. Okay. And this is available for them too. The Jews hated hearing that salvation was available to those Gentiles. So Paul writes it, Christ in you to Gentiles. Christ is also in you, the hope of glory. You get all the spiritual blessings that have been given to the Jews. You are part of the plan of salvation. So that's why he's emphasizing here, this is for all the saints. He needs to, to let the Gentiles know they're still part of this. And when you say, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, uh, that, we don't take that apart. You don't stand outside this building, say, Max and I standing outside this building. I don't say it, stand, look at this building and go, wow, Max, look at the length and the breadth and the depth and the height of the building. And he goes, yeah, Bill, it's big. That's the idea. It's taking the parts, not trying to get down into measuring and saying this many feet, this many feet. 
he's using this as a, a grammatical metaphor, or a literary tool to say that we look at the whole, and the whole is immense. And what is he talking about the whole of here? He is talking about the love of Christ being this big and this immense. And so he says in verse 19, then after saying the breadth and length and height and depth, he says, and so, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. This word know here, this is not head knowledge. This is experiential knowledge. This is experience. You have experienced, you have felt, you have known, you have seen this love to you in your life. And how do we know it's to you? Because it's the love of Christ. I won't take apart the grammar there, but this is the love, Christ's love to you. So just in these verses here, you start with mental comprehension, you can see it, and then you experience the love of Christ in your love. This, this is one author says, a love only known in a deep, intimate, personal fellowship, communionship, communion and relationship with another. This is Christ's love to us. And it's, a, it's, a, it's to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. To know which surpasses, we call that an oxymoron. Two seemingly incompatible things. But it means exceedingly, surpassingly, extraordinarily beyond. What's Paul saying? We can come to know a maturity in which we know experientially, consciously in fellowship, we know the love of Christ to us, to us. And it is far beyond knowledge, far beyond knowledge, because experience it takes us beyond knowledge. I think most Christians don't know this love. I think this is why everyone who preaches this has such a difficult time preaching this passage. You're left wondering, well, Lord, do I know your love like this? Do I know this fellowship, this consciousness? I think it's something we're always attaining to. But Paul is saying it is attainable in this life. And as I said before, young, new Christians, the immaturest of us, the, those who are just saved, we start by only knowing the saving love of Christ. This is way, way beyond that. This is only the, you're getting now to the most mature Christians that can say that they, they have lived a life that's dominated by their love to others and they are experiencing on a regular basis the love of Christ to them. Authors use words like fellowship, communion, conscious awareness, relationship with a Christ who is at home in you. Lloyd-Jones says it's the realization of his presence, conscious state of fellowship. Remember where we have to go in this book. We're eight verses away from application. Eight verses away from application. We're going to be asked by Paul in the next three chapters to apply love more than ten times in the next three chapters. How we live a life of love towards others, experience a life of the love of Christ to us, is a vital, important part of the next three chapters. Purpose of the camp, unity of the church, unity of Christ, love. Go to 1 Corinthians 12 sometime. Look at all the spiritual gifts and 
the hands and the feet and the noses and the toes and all these gifts and how we are parts of the body. But Paul then comes back and he says, I've got to stop and say there's a more excellent way. When I get to chapter 13, I need to tell you, it's more than just these gifts. It's how you exercise these gifts, and that exercise has to be in love. 13 sits there after, verse, after ch- chapter 12 to remind us that as we work as a church, as we grow as a church, as we serve, love is the glue. Love is the binding. Love is the overarching piece that, that brings all of this together. It's like the blood that flows through the body. Oh, that's not scriptural. So the question is, do you know his love to you? Do you feel like you know his love to you, that you've reached spiritual maturity and you know that love? You experience that love? Your fellowship with your Lord Jesus Christ? That's what Paul's praying for here. And if you want to have the most spiritual usefulness in the next three chapters, we need to reach this level. All right, now to number five. And we're going to reach the climax of the prayer here, and then we'll finish up quickly. That you be filled with all the fullness of God. That you be filled with all the fullness of God. Look at verse 19 there at the end. That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. That, that statement again, purpose, being maybe able to grasp, to know. When we talk about the fullness of God, obviously we're not talking about becoming God. We're not going to become God. It's to be become like God. We call it Christ-like. Right? Uh, quoting a lot of the authors, you're going to be Christ-like, be like God in this life. Fullest maturity on this side of eternity. Filled with as much of the perfection of God as we can in human flesh. This is obviously something that is beyond our ability to understand how in finite, fallen, sinful flesh we can be filled with God's fullness. This is not salvation. This is experiential fullness of God. And I'll read you a quote in a minute. But real quickly, fullness is a big theme in Ephesians. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 23, talking about the church. It's Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Uh, Back in Ephesians, or forward in Ephesians 4.10, he who descends himself is also he who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. Ephesians 5.18, we're called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, as I said before, in Ephesians 4.11 to 13, we are to grow, be grown through the teaching and the the serving in the church, equipping until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. This isn't the only place where Paul brings this up, that there is a filling of us to all the fullness of God himself. And what Paul is is saying there in those verses in chapter 4, he's saying, Lord, I understand we're called to be pastors and teachers. We will do the equipping, but then you will fill them. And we saw and we see in this prayer that that filling then comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. This being filled, this is, this is a life that is entirely dominated by God. A hundred percent controlled by the Holy Spirit. This is acting like Christ, Christ-like behavior in every situation, responding. 
And this is a picture then of each of us functioning in the church. This is when us as a local church, us as a global church, are Christ to the world, where more of Christ is seen through us than you could ever possibly imagine. Well, there's a lot to be said. Completely, absolutely controlled. Uh, I think Martin Lloyd-Jones took two chapters on what it means to be filled to all the fullness of God. It literally means spiritual maturity. No, we're not going to do miracles. No, we're not going to forgive sins. We're not going to do that. But it is the spiritual maturity that the Holy Spirit gave Christ because it's the fullness of God. What does uh, Colossians say? In Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells. Scripture over and over again reminds us as Christ as a man has all the fullness of deity. And here we can have that fullness. MacArthur writes, to be filled up to all the fullness of God is indeed incomprehensible, even to God's own children. It is incredible and indescribable. Now this is interesting. He's wrong in this statement. There is no way this side of heaven we can fathom that truth. Yes, you can. If you have grown spiritually to the point that that the Holy Spirit is working in you and the love of Christ is, is flowing through you and to you, then Paul says you can grow to the point where you are filled with all the fullness of God. You will know it experientially. He says we, we believe it and we praise God for it. Even to begin to grasp the magnitude of this truth, we must think of every attribute, every characteristic of God. We must think of his power, his majesty, his wisdom, love, mercy, patience, kindness, long-suffering, and every other thing that God is and does. And Paul is saying here, that is what God wants to fill you with so that it flows through your life to others. When you see this, is there any surprise? Now look at the next two verses. Is there any surprise that Paul bursts out in praise in this great doxology? Look at verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So this is the closing. If you're keeping track of points, this is the closing. If all of this has occurred in your life, if you have spiritually grown as this prayer progressed through all these levels, Paul is saying you will burst out in praise after contemplating what God has done for you. We will burst out in praise for contemplating what God wants to do for us. So look at just real quickly. Him who is able, this is more power. Able is another word for power, power to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. This is super more than we could ever conceive that God wants to do in your life, in my life. This is the point of maximum spiritual usefulness to God in the church beyond anything we could ask or think. And here it is, according to the power that works within us. That's the Holy Spirit. This is the same Holy Spirit that did this for Christ. Paul is saying again, finishing, starting this prayer, that we be strengthened in inner, and now finishing, reminding us that God has the Holy Spirit for us to give us this kind of power, this kind of ability to serve in our lives. And when we remember how much the Holy Spirit did for the Lord Jesus, yes, he was without sin. Yes, he did not have our sin nature. But as far as he is able to do with our finiteness, our fallenness, 
God is promising that he will do for us. The power that works within us. And so then he finishes and he says, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So to God be the glory. And it's all for him in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever. Sometime look at 1 Corinthians 15, 24. At the end of time, in eternity, Christ is going to take us, the church, and he's going to give it all back over to God the Father so that God, <clears throat> excuse me, might be all in all. I think that's verse 24 in chapter 15. So, to close, this letter is all about union with Christ as the basis for unity in the church, something that, that's going to be taught to us at summer camp. First three chapters is the union that's been given to us, the unity that's been given to us. The next three chapters is how we live out that unity. So let me ask you some questions. How well has this prayer been answered in your life? These only get tougher. How well has this prayer been answered in your life? Do you know this level of spiritual maturity? Do you have this level of spiritual maturity? By the way, I'm not standing up here answering yes to these. This, this is beyond what we can think about. We need to grow. Is the Holy Spirit and Christ working in your life as this prayer calls for so that the love of Christ is working through, through you and you're seeing the love of Christ to you, filling you up in the process of filling you up to all the fullness of God? Just, let's take a more basic question. Is your life, is what you're doing, is it helping the church or is it hurting the church? This is not a prayer for the backslidden Christian. And then are you ready for the commands that are going to follow in Ephesians 4 to 6? Are you ready? And the toughest question of all is the pinnacle of this prayer. Are you filled right now with all the fullness of God in you, practically filled flowing through you, coming out, known and seen by others in your life. Are you that filled? What a challenge. It's a challenge. I can't answer yes to that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand before you probably more, kneel before you probably more on our faces before you with a prayer that Obviously, you, you pen through your Holy Spirit, through Paul, a prayer for us, a prayer, a challenge to take us far beyond infant, immature Christians. Take us to where you want each of us to grow so that we may glorify you and glorify you in the church by the Holy Spirit to and through the Lord Jesus to glorify you. Please, please, don't let us walk away from here and write this off as... as something we can't do. Please do not let us do that. Please put aside our flesh and, and have us see the reality of what you have taught here to walk away broken if we are not growing as we should be, but also to be, to be enabled, to be inspired, to grow, to be this level of maturity so that we can just glorify you in the church. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.